Well, now we're going to hear from God's Word. We're coming again to the book of James. I, th- I think it fits with so many of the things we've talked about today. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Uh, the things that I want you to see is that th- there are bookends. Do you know what I mean by that? It's called an inclusio. It means it starts with something and it ends with something. It starts with a call to us being humble before God. And it ends with that. And in the middle, it tells us what we have to do to be humble before God in the usual James-like way. So let's stand because we are hearing our Father's word. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today, in, in the moments that we have, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind and my heart for a long, long time. It really is about something James has been pushing us toward all through the time here. Visitors, we've been going through the book of James for a long time here at the church. And what he's pushing us toward is two different approaches to how we live every day of our lives. Two different perspectives. And the way that I've started to put them, and I think it's an understandable way, is one way of living every day of our life is what I call my life for me. My life for me. And by my life, for me, I mean that when I get up in the morning, I have my own goals. I have the things that I think I need to do that in order to be successful, uh, in order to even be happy. And so our lives are generally directed by that sort of self-focused ways. It's not altogether wrong, but when that becomes the main point of our lives, what happens in a my life for me is even when you have a gathering like this one, are, are we, we're, we're people in the same vicinity, but our lives aren't really connected to one another. If everyone is having my life revolve around myself. The other way of looking at the other approach is what I'm going to be calling a my life for you approach to life. My life for you is where I extend myself. I'm, I'm watching out for you. I'm, I'm seeing what I might have, what time I might have, what resources I might have to actually connect with you and, and to bring benefit to you. Uh, That way of life actually connects a group of people and can help turn us into a community, not just a a group of individual people in the same building. It's really possible to come to a big church like this and feel so disconnected. Now, what we're doing today, this is a special Sunday for us. And I kept thinking, how do you put all this together? It's Palm Sunday. We have all these marvelous baptisms. I mean, it's amazing that God is doing great things in, in the lives of our people. And we're also coming back to the book of James. But I think you're going to see that the text that we come to pulls this all together uh, in terms of how we live our lives every day for this Jesus who came as a king into Jerusalem, to this Jesus that those being baptized were saying, from head to toe, I belong to him. 
from head to toe, I am his. And James actually turns to us and talks to us about what a life following Jesus actually looks like. So let's think about it. Number one, uh, the way of, uh, of life that is my life for me. I, I think that's mostly uh, the way of our culture. And um, I've lived long enough now that I have found that almost every uh, older generation looks at the generation that comes behind it and says, that new generation, that's the me generation. <laughs> Happens every time. I remember when I was in high school, it was in the 1960s, seems like a long, long time ago, but I remember my parents' generation, looking at my generation and saying, ah, your generation is the me generation, it's, it's all about you. What they didn't know is that we were looking at them and thinking that you are the me generation. I mean, if, if you remember anything about the 1960s, people like Jack um, uh, Weinberger, who would proclaim, don't trust anybody over 30 years old. And the reason was they're just living for themselves and their own accumulations. So with every generation blaming every other generation for being the, the me generation, I think we just have to face the fact that all of us are affected by being a me generation. <laughs> I've come to the point of thinking that ever since Adam and Eve put themselves into the place of God, every human being who comes into the world wrestles with this thing of submitting ourselves to God. Now that plays out in a couple of different ways. For most of us who have grown up here in the Western world, in the United States, it plays out in a very individualistic way. So everything that I do really is to further my own, because we, we live for ourselves so often. We even have uh, philosophies that have developed that say that this is good. This is how you're supposed to really live life. Last century, Abraham Maslow, who, who developed uh, the philosophy, and psychologists, you'll know all about this philosophy that you're to uh, deal with, uh, identify what your basic human needs are, make sure those needs are met, and eventually, well, I've even put uh, a graph up here, and many of you have seen this. It's Psychology 101 in college. So you, you have down on the bottom the physiological needs. You've got to meet your needs for food and sleep. And it goes up for safety and up to your own self-esteem. And it all ends, Maslow says, in what we call being self-actualized. And by that, he meant you, you experience life the way it's supposed to be. He meant the same thing I always talk to you about when I say that the, uh, the Hebrew talks about shalom, you know, it's life the way it's meant to be. It's, it's what Jesus said, I've come to give you the life that you're supposed to have. I didn't come to destroy your life. I came to, to give you abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10. Life to the full. What he was talking about is the same thing as Maslow. He, he used the term self-actualization. But Maslow said you get there by focusing on your own basic needs. And all of that has led to, I don't think he meant for it to do this, but it's led to a way of, of self-obsession. So that you hear it all the time. Oh, you're not happy. You've got to do more for yourself. I mean, you deserve it. Uh, your problem is you, you just spend all your time doing things for others. You've got to focus more on yourself. Now, now, as James wrote this back in Bible times, he didn't live in an individualistic um, American-type society. He, he lived more in a, a family-centered, clan-centered society. Any of you who have grown up in an Asian context or an African context with the extended family, you know what James was dealing with. 
It, it was not so much, I'm just going to do it for me, but it was always, it, it has to be for me and my family. We've got to, to get ahead. Uh, and that sounds better, doesn't it? It wasn't so much a my life for me as a my life for us. And yet what James wrote about, if you remember what happened in the book of James, is that that was still keeping them from becoming the kind of church that Jesus gave his life to bring about. Uh, Jesus gave his life for people from every tribe, in every language, in every nation, regardless of our background, and invites us to come together into the family of God. And if we get into this, either my life for me or my life for us, this focus in James's letter, he would say, you are not welcoming people in distress. Chapter 2, remember he said, you're showing favoritism, just sort of watching out for your own. And it didn't lead to anything except them fighting with one another as everyone watched out to protect my own way. So that's what takes place. Beware. I really feel like everything in our world, whether it is in a my life for me or my life for us, it pushes us into a mold of making us think, I can really find my life if I just look out for my own needs or or for, for me and mine. But Jesus shows us a different way. It doesn't matter what culture we come from. He shows us a different way. So I want to come to Palm Sunday, the way of Jesus. What you see at Palm Sunday is Jesus showing us, demonstrating to us a my life for you way of living. Now, Palm Sunday, what is it about? We've already had our kids teaching us, and they probably do better than I could ever do. But the fact is, most people have been baffled about what on earth Palm Sunday is all about. You have this big celebration on Sunday with waving palm branches, and then Friday, it's Good Friday when Jesus is dying on the cross. Sometimes it's called, I wrote about it in the worship folder, sometimes uh, it is called the Palm Sunday Mystery. And the question is, how could Jesus ride in to the city of Jerusalem being acclaimed as, as king on one day and then in the very same city be put to death less than a week later? And, and, and bottom line, I do agree with the kids that the, the problem was um, probably unfulfilled expectations I mean I'll just tell you in a marriage or a friendship or or, or in a church unfulfilled expectations will just destroy relationships so what do they expect as as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem it seemed like they were expecting that warrior like political like king who would rescue them from a, a government because they were under the oppression of the government of Rome And they thought he might be that. They wanted that. They didn't like life the way it was. And they were partly right. They were partly right. Um, Jesus was a king. That's not the kind that they expected. (laughs) He was the uh, king over all kings. And he was a rescuer too. But not the kind of rescue that they wanted. It wasn't just one people group rescued from one government. He came to rescue the whole world. The, the, The good news is he's going to make everything right. Everything that binds us, he he will set us free from it and and give us the privilege of coming into his family. He had come to do something greater than they could have ever expected. Now just think about it then from Jesus' perspective. He knew who he was. He knew that he was the one who had come in the line of David to fulfill all the prophecies. He knew that. He would in fact say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He knew who he was. He knew, Matthew chapter 26, that he had the authority to call 10,000 angels to provide protection and guidance. Nothing could overcome. He knew who he was. 
And yet before he would go into that city, he would say at least three times, I'm going into Jerusalem and I'm going to die there. He knew he had come to die. And he had come to die for our sins. He would declare, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. Do you see what I'm getting at? My life for you is the way of Jesus. In contrast to our world. And in that, Jesus found his life in us coming into his family. It's amazing, isn't it? In our rescue, in our remaking, Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross, enduring its shame, Jesus laid down his life. My life for you. And I'll just tell you, brothers and sisters, he calls us to find our lives in living the same way. Just before he went in to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, you read about it in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. I think I put it up here, but I'll I'll just sort of put it into my words. He turned to his people who were fighting over my life for me types of positions. Which one? He had just, I'm going to die. Which one of us is going to get to be on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom, Jesus? Two of them say. The other ones get mad. You know why? They got the best places. Only thing left for us is three to twelve. We don't get one and two anymore. Jesus, wait a minute. You need to know this, that that's the way the world thinks. Those who have authority in the world use their authority to lord it over others. In other words, they use their clout for their own personal benefit. And he would declare, not so with you. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And he not only said it, he did it. He goes into Jerusalem knowing that he is the king and gives his life for us. And he calls us to that life. He calls us to find our lives. When we carry his message and witness, when we carry his love out to others and live no longer for ourselves, but for him, and for him means we love others as we love ourselves. Now that brings me to my third point. The challenge. And that brings us to James. And the way I put it is, I think James is really taking this on. This life of humbling myself, verses 6 and 10, doesn't come naturally to us self-centered people. And so I put it, the struggle of living a perspective of my life for you, when every day I'm living in a my life for me world. Does that make sense to you? This is not easy. So James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, just mark it down, is a profound text that speaks into the struggle you and I always face here. You start with verses 6 and 10, calling us to this humility that is a surrender to God. It says, so give yourselves, chapter 7, verse 3, God will show grace to the humble, verse 6, verse, verse 10, so be sure to humble yourself, and that means you submit to God, which he has already pointed out throughout his entire letter. When you and I submit to God, we just don't live for ourselves anymore. We welcome people who don't feel welcomed. When people are hurting, if we've been given resources, we use them and find joy in using what's been entrusted to us as stewards to bring God's blessing to other people. But what I read, when I read James' letter, I believe he saw that many of the people who had sat under his teaching for a long time weren't living the way of Jesus. Chapter 1, people were in distress. They didn't care for them. Chapter 2, within their own church, 
People were coming in who weren't welcomed anywhere else in the world and they weren't welcoming them in church either. Chapter 3, and even once they got into church, they fought with one another. And James, it's kind of no nonsense. This has to change. And I feel like when you look at verses 7 through 9, it's like a, a parent who loves our children. I mean, any of you have ever been there? And maybe you've been on the child side, maybe you've been on the parent side. Maybe you've been on both. Have you ever had that time that whenever your child is going the wrong direction and you just say, that's, that's not going to take you down a good path. And a loving parent sort of grabs the child and says, listen to me. That's what we find James doing. You just can't live that way anymore. And I wonder what he would say to us. You know, we are so pressed into a me-centered way of living here in Southern California. I, I think we need to hear his words as much as, as his own people did. Do you think so? So look at it. Number one, he says you've got to resist the devil. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But that means you've got to resist the devil. And, and, and what he's saying to them is this. The way you're living looks more like the devil than it looks like Jesus. Have you ever seen the way Lucifer's fall is described in several places? I've put one up here for you. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. See if you can tell anything that characterized Lucifer's life. Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Anything there that sort of strikes you? Uh, the ongoing, I will, I will. My life for me. And yet God comes back to him, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. But James is saying to them, and I say to you, that this self-centered living carries us away from God. It's the surest sign that God is not reigning in me and through me. James is saying, my life for me is not Jesus' way, it's the devil's way. Surely that would change their life. And once again, if you use that image of a teenager whose loving parent, loving parent is trying to call the teenager back. I can picture myself, if I were the teenager, thinking, man, I'm glad that's over. Okay, okay, I've got it, Mom or Dad. Okay, I've got it. And walking out the door. And James says, get back here. I'm not done with you yet. That's what happens in verse 8. Get back here. I'm not done with you yet. It's not just the devil. There's something in you that you've got to look at and got to change. And do you notice, it, then he really takes on the hard light. Clean up your ways, you sinner. That's what he called his church people. Purify your heart, you double-minded, worldly person pretending to be a Christian. That, that, that's a human pastor. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you, when you look at this, it means when we come to church and meet in the presence of a holy God, we need to open up our hearts and say, Lord, show me some of those places that still need to be cleaned up. I need to give them to you again. Purify my heart, which means single-mindedly focus on a God who, when you return to Him, will draw near to you. That's what He's calling us to do, what He's calling you to do today. If you've come to church and know that there are some areas that are wrong in your life, it's time now to say, Lord, here they are. I, I confess them, take them away. Empower me to be different. Once again, if I put myself into the role of that teenager, I would think, I've got to leave. This is too oppressive. You feel it? 
um, I've survived, it was hard. And, and, and James once again saying, get back here, I have one more thing. Verse 9. Uh, I can almost say, see him saying to some, you still seem to have a smirk on your face. I, I don't think your heart's changed. I think you're planning to go out, leave church, and live the same way you did before. You, you don't think this is serious. You think that God must not really care. He can't know about every human being. How could God possibly do that? And look at what James says. He picks up the language of the prophets, constantly in the prophets. And here's what he says. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, he tells us to take our own sinfulness seriously and confess it and turn from it. And he also is calling us that when we have lived for ourselves and not cared, not by witnessing to Jesus, Sometimes by having a person that he brings across our path who is really hurting, doesn't know where to turn, and we have some resources, and we don't use them to bring God's blessing to others. Saying that's not the way of Jesus. Submit to God, James says, but with his promise. When you come to church and you humble yourself before the Lord again, he will receive you, he will forgive you, and he will lift you up. And he will send you from this place, ready to live life to the full. My life for you, call of the Word of God. Now, I just want to take a few moments at the end here to think about what does a my life for you life actually look like. I've been talking with people um, all week about this. I think I've irritated some of you because I keep putting this matter on the table because I believe that this way of thinking and this approach to life should be something that affects almost everything we do. Yes, big decisions, we often think about that, but I'm really thinking almost every decision of our lives should be affected by this. Like what? And that's what I've been probing. So I talked with my daughter, Heather, and my daughter, Heather, has um, three little children, my three grandchildren, ages six, four, and two. And when I said, can you think of an example of a my life for you life? She said, Dad, that's the life of any mom. (laughs) And you know, any good parent, that is true. A bad parenting is when we continue to live for ourselves and try to live through our children. Good parenting always is a willingness, like God did for us as the ultimate parent, where we give of ourselves simply because we love our children and want the best for them. It begins in the pain of childbirth, moms. Feels like a death. It gives birth to a life continues through all, uh, all of your life as you sacrifice. If you love your child, don't you sacrifice? We're all, we're all recipients of this kind of my life for you living. Uh, you sacrifice your time, your priorities, and your money, lots of money, uh, for your children. See, when you think about it, that, that should be the pattern of every moment of all of our lives. And when it's done, there is a joy in that. And there's a healthiness and there's a wholeness. Uh, Pastor Carol Kenyon said that our parents who choose to love and raise special needs children live this kind of life in a very special way. That so often with our special needs children, uh, a parent's life will revolve around helping that child navigate almost everything they do. In fact, every part of a life so many times can bring deep, deep fulfillment and an incredibly well-bonded family. Eric Johnson told me, you know, the simplest example I can think of 
is just allowing somebody who doesn't have many groceries when I go to the grocery store <laughs> to go ahead of me when I have more? And then I started thinking about what Eric said, and I said, that probably is true of the way I drive, too. And that called me to repentance. So, you know, when the person wants to cut my life for me, it's my right, my life for you. And, and Pastor Annie Newfeld always brings it right down to earth. She thinks our, all of our children struggle with this, so that in our church and our homes... We have to model this and teach it all the time. She said, you, you see it when, when uh, kids go to the elevator, rushing up, who's going to get to push the elevator button first? We all know this. We've all seen this, right? Or she said, you get into, you get into the car, and who gets to ride shotgun? And once the car is going, who gets to pick the music that's going to be played on the radio station? See, if we can teach and model a My Life for You way of life, it will take away the fighting and, and bring about peace. Debbie Gonzalez, who's our administrative assistant, and I just tell you, she lives this life. She, she wrote me and she said, administrative assistant for our adult ministries. She said, a My Life for You approach is a choice we make when we are asked to care for a sick or dying parent. To volunteer at a children's hospital. To give up your spring break or your vacation. To go on a missions trip. Or to drive a friend or family member to downtown L.A. to a doctor's appointment on your only day off. I've thought that in a church like this, it would play out in so many ways. One way it would be if, if we're willing sometimes to leave that circle of friends that we feel comfortable with. And we see somebody out there who doesn't, isn't yet connected. And we're willing to, to give up that moment to go over here and welcome somebody else in. I think in a church like ours, because the life of Jesus was given to make us right with God. You know, God loves to bring broken things together. You know that. Jesus did it at the cost of his life. And he sends us out both with the message and the ministry of reconciliation. So, it shows up whenever there is a break in a relationship. And you are the one willing to take that first step of humility toward reconciliation. Even if you feel like 92.3% of the problem is that person. That the humility is, I'll take that first step and say, we've got to get this thing right and see how God might do his work in actually bringing us together. Joanne Matthew wrote me a wonderful note. She said, my life for you is taking over a meal to someone who is sick. It's smiling and saying good morning to a random person on the street. It's being willing to watch a movie that you are not too keen on just because the person you love would like it. Oh, man, I've got to watch less sports and watch more Hallmark Channel. With... <laughs> it's crossing the... Californians. It's crossing the street a little faster just so that that car that's waiting for you can wait a little less. Joanne was so right when she wrote, I put it up here just to think about it, living a my life for you life is having a heart that's willing to be inconvenienced. And we do it because Jesus did it, we did it because he commanded it, and we find a life in it. The impact of a my life for you way of life is that it pulls us together. It, it, it knits people together. As we extend ourselves to one another, suddenly we're not isolated from one another anymore. Uh, actually, just think about it this way. Whenever you do that, when you do some small act of, of simply giving of yourself, giving up a priority for somebody else, and that other person sees it, um, what does that other person usually say? 
or should say, thank you. Thank you, Lil. Uh, thank you. What a powerful phrase. Thank you. Uh, my, my mom insisted that I say it. And <laughs> now over the years, I'm so thankful. Thank you. It means I recognize what you have done. It's, it's something that has brought me some joy. It's something that's met a need. Thank you. So as you extend yourself, you take a step toward that other person. As that other person says thank you, it bonds you together into a relationship. And it really is exactly the way we walk with God. We were the ones who had deep need. He extended himself to us to the point of death. We received him by faith and then live by gratitude. Thank you, Lord. My life is yours. However you want me to live, wherever you want me to go, that's what I want to do. It's a my life or yours way of life. My last point now. Is there any joy in this? Any joy in a my life for you way of life? Because the world is telling us we find life in a my life for me way of life. I point this out because when I met with my Tuesday group of, of pastors, they said to me, uh, uh, Greg, um, one sermon probably isn't going to rip us out of where the world, the flesh, and the devil are all trying to mold us into this my life for me way of life. How, how do you think one sermon is going to change us? And, and the allure of a my life for me way of life, it's sometimes so subtle and it's so powerful. It's the whole American dream. It's the whole American dream. Uh, get here, uh, get an education, get your kids get an education, uh, build a house, a bigger house, a bigger house, white picket fence around it, get a big bank account, pass it on to your children. That's where you find real life. And Jesus says, no, you, you find it in a different place. You find it by spending your life for others. Yes. Do you believe me? How am I going to convince any of us of this, that it actually will change our lives? Maybe I've just got to yell, resist the devil, you sinners, clean your hands. How, how do we, I ask you to consider. Here in Southern California, we have so many people who are so... so incredibly successful whether it's in in the entertainment industry or in sports or in so many places if a person gets everything he or she wants do they find real life usually what you find is they, they furthermore further separate themselves from the world they live in these huge huge mansions behind these gated fences and walls and often you find just to keep trying to find out where is life to be found plunging into all sorts of things, broken relationships and drugs and all sorts of things. Consider it. Is that where life is to be found, where the world tells us, look at the people who find everything, and almost no is never is no said to them. And, and I think you'll know what I'm getting at. And, and I'll just ask you, maybe this will help too. Think about your own life. Have you ever gone on a mission trip, whether in our own community or out somewhere, where, where you've often been with people who physically had nothing and you thought you were going to give everything? And yet as you gave, you felt like they were giving so much more back to you. And, and as you were there, involved in one another's life, there is such a deep inner joy. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah. Have you ever extended yourself to anybody, just some small thing, a small smile, a, a, a way of helping a little bit, and had that other person turn to you and smile back? Yeah. Doesn't your whole heart just, just soar? knowing that this is the way you and I were created to live. 
Um, Jeremy Rose. I don't know, Jeremy ran because he knew I was going to throw him in the sermon, I think. But uh, Vanessa, you're here. So you'll, is he over here somewhere? There, uh, oh, that's good to sit with your grandfather, Jeremy. J- Jeremy tries to always help me make my sermons real. And he says, you know, the whole world longs for this. They, they don't go for it. They long for it. They know it's true. He says, because almost every movie pushes us in that direction. Uh, Pay it forward is the famous, but Jeremy sent me a whole, we don't have time for me to go over all the ones Jeremy mentioned, but I'll tell you a couple of them. He said, the Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen volunteered herself in the place of her younger sister, knowing that doing that would almost certainly lead to her death. She didn't die, and in fact, she found a life. The other one I really like, Jeremy, is Despicable Me. Shows you Jeremy has children. <laughs> Grew uh, risks his life and reputation as a super villain. And he risks his life for the sake of the three girls that he had adopted to use as bait. But he ends up rescuing them and finding life. I need to watch more movies. I need to watch more <laughs> movies. So the world recognizes, you know, it recognizes that life is not to be found in self-centeredness, but in a life of service. But I'm telling you what's going to happen is saying, okay, I'm going to do it on my own, is that the molding effect of the world, our own human nature, and the devil will make it so that one day we're going to say, I'm going to be different, I'm going to be different. It'll be like a rubber band. You stretch it out, and the moment you turn away, snap, comes right back where it was. The only thing that's going to change, you and me, is the power of God that, that is received when you receive Jesus cleansing from our self-centered sinful ways. Uh, the example of Jesus that we've looked at today who was willing to give his life for us so out of gratitude will be different and the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit of God who makes things possible for tomorrow that were never possible before. It can take people just like you and me and turn us into people who further the glory of God in this world. As we carry the message of Jesus, and that is a my life for you way of life. Whether they mock us or not, simply out of love for them and love of Jesus, we carry the message and we carry the love of Jesus. When people are in distress, we offer hope. When people are broken and have no place of welcome, we say, come to the family. We will receive you. Today we had these powerful baptisms where people said, I am his, I belong to him, I want to live for Jesus from head to toe. Every part of me belongs to you. What does a life look like? I tell you, it is a life that is not a my life for me, it is a life, my life for you. I'll leave you with the words of Jesus himself. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Who, who's in the anyone? Okay. If anyone would come after me, here's what you do. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel. We'll save it.
to his glory. Amen. Amen.